If you are a parent who is at your wit's end, you feel like you've tried everything, it's not working, you're exhausted, and the strain is actually affecting not only your experience of your family life, but probably everyone's, then stay tuned. This might be the episode you've been waiting for. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Christina Crow Podcast where we connect the dots in search for more balanced mental health. We need to make the invisible things visible. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Christina Crow podcast. I'm your host, Christina Crow, registered psychotherapist. Thank you for tuning in today. Today, we are making invisible things in parenting visible. Today, I'm sitting with my dear friend and colleague, conscious parenting coach, Sabrina Bello. Sabrina is a certified conscious parenting method coach of the Dr. Shafali Institute. Sabrina has a certification in grief counseling, diplomas in psychospirituality studies, transitional support, is a self-reg champion with Dr. Shanker's Self-Reg Foundations program in the Merit Center, and is an integrative somatic trauma practitioner. Sabrina has been with the Dig a Little Deeper team since August 2020 after I stalked her online and chased her down for about six months to come have a coffee with me and probably terrified she relented and we met in a public setting (laughs) and that's how we met. (laughs) So Sabrina, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and giving us some free time today. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? I love these conversations with you. We always joke that we should tape all of our conversations. So there again, guys, that, that's what we're doing here. So Sabrina, you specialize in a certain type of a parenting lens called conscious parenting, and you've gone through a ton of training, which I know I've kind of watched you do this uh, from the sidelines. Can you just tell us what the heck conscious parenting is? What does that mean? Okay. I'm going to start <laughs> with it being so radical. <laughs> As it aligns with my personality, right? Not traditional, that's for sure. It is parent-focused. It's relationship-focused. It's need-focused. It's connection-focused. Whereas the traditional style of parenting was definitely more authoritarian, right? Um, There was control. There were fears. We're still um, there, I think, even though we're in the 21st century, we are still holding on to a lot of old conditions whereby our children are literally being birthed, awake, aware, so honest, so truthful that we really need to start focusing on our own adulting, if you will, as we become parents. So the conscious journey is really about reframing, um, widening our lens, having a new perspective and seeing our children as teachers versus seeing them as objects. And that's a big one for parents. Why would they be my teacher, right? (laughs) Yeah, and but when we can practice that, which it takes time to adopt that new mentality, is that what we're recognizing in our kids is that the events that are taking place that are triggering for us, and I know that's often this uh, word that might be overused in today's (laughs) culture, but it identifies that response, something I'm reacting to is caused by, right? And so when our kids are doing it, the tendency is to just go head to head, right? This is power. This is I know that feeling. (laughs) So do I. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But what we're trying to do is create this pause, because this is where the self-reg, you know, regulation piece comes from too, is opening and understanding, oh, what is happening here? Like, if we really took a pause and asked ourselves, would I have done this? Like, I would have been terrified to communicate with my parents as a child. Like, if something was not going on or or something wasn't going my way. I don't even know if it it occurs to, it would have occurred to a lot of us that that's who we should be telling our, our things to, right? Right. We didn't know, we didn't talk about feelings. No. Oh, geez. Feelings 
yeah. frightened parents, right? Yeah. They didn't know. And this isn't about blaming. So this frightened parents, right? <laughs> yeah. And for, and for all the parents listening, you know, I'll say, uh, Sabrina and I talk often about how we, we feel all these things. Like we've all been there. I've been the parent who's tried to squeeze water from a rock in terms of controlling my way and, you know, stomping my foot into, it's going to be my way. I'm the parent. I'm and, like, and then just coming head face to face, like, wait a minute, like, not only does this not feel good, there's another relationship I want to have with my kid because my job as a parent and I, and I use the word job, like in an old way, I, it's not a job, actually a job description. It's a relationship. And what do I want my relationship with this, with this creature, this kind of incredible thing that, you know, we've brought into the world to be like, and I, I, I really resonate with what you say because no human beings on this planet have taught me more about who I am than the boys. Yeah. Our kids and do that. Yeah. They, they challenge you. They make you rethink everything. They make you question everything you've been taught. Right. And, and, and also hold you accountable. Oh, do they ever? <laughs> <laughs> they ho- and, and I love that. I mean, I love Welcome it. when I'm held accountable with my children because they know my commitment to them. Yeah. Right. So this journey has, I remember that breaking point for me was like, what? the hell am I doing? Like, I really don't know how to do this job. Who taught me how to do this? Because if it's what I was brought up with, and maybe not all of it was, you know, horrible, (laughs) but there was a great deal of um, conditioning that was projected upon me that separated, that hurt me as a teenager, that hurt me as a child. And I don't mean just in the physical sense. I mean, hurt me from a developmental, yeah, yeah. my insecurities, my um, needing to fit in my, the poor decisions I made. Yeah. There's, there's There's this thing about transitions in parenting, right? Like I often talk to talk about this part. So to speak to what you're saying right now is that there's there's developmental tasks of every stage of our lives as humans and we have things we need to experience and learn and be able to do at different ages you know so when when you've got a baby you're trying to keep that thing alive <laughs> feeding it and making sure it sleeps and then they're a toddler and and you know a primary pod kid and we're trying to make sure that they stay safe and you know they don't fall downstairs we baby proof our whole house and then we want to make sure they learn social skills and they learn, they learn not to lie and how to make friends at school and that they can't, they can't bite other kids and, you know, get into fights on the playground and they've, they've got to be honest with their teachers. And then they get into grades seven and eight and nine and they're really like less interested in us and more interested in navigating the social um, world that they're in and learning all kinds of new skills. And when they're teenagers, we really want them to be able to practice their skills in a safe way, which means they're not always going to do it right. But if we keep trying to jump in front of them, we're not going to give them a chance to learn skills. And so being able to tolerate as a parent, watching your kid mess up is not easy, but that it's about them and not about us. Right. And so if you're trying to parent your 16 year old in the same style that you parented them when they were eight, nine and 10. Yeah, I bet that that might be hard, right? And so people often come to us when they've been trying something for a long time. It worked for a time and doesn't work anymore, which might be a theme in, in all of therapy. We got to figure out how to do it differently. And, and often that means reflecting on how we were raised and what the, the stories we were told about how we grew up and what we're willing to change based on the wor- world as it exists today. And I appreciate you use stories because that's exactly what it is, right? We're not here to punish. We're not here to, like, you know, end relationships with our parents. <laughs> Once we start to awaken and see like, oh crap, man, like that, that actually had a negative impact on me, even though I was so protected or I was so loved, I really didn't need to do anything independently. So I went off to school and it was a, you know, crapshoot because I didn't know how to do anything. So it's not just negative, right? Like it's not just, you know, 
bad experiences as we label them. Um, but I think too, and to um, comment back, I, when parents come to us, it's really, they're just, they find, they've disconnected with their kid. That's really their plea. Like, help me reconnect yeah, with do. my child. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. And I, and I don't, yeah. And, and the, I don't, we use reconnection, but I mean, I like to say oh, we're, do, we're, we're repairing, right? Like it's just, it's not broken in the sense that it's permanent. We're just going to put on maybe a set of glasses that has um, a clear <laughs> prescription so that we can see better and we can shift and open our minds and lens to what's happening. Sounds like it requires a bit of flexibility. <laughs> and patience and self-compassion. Who taught you how to parent? When you became a parent, did you know how to parent? Nope. Neither did I. <laughs> I read some books. I got the book. And yeah, we all read the book, right? I mean, what to expect when we're expecting. So, yeah, like, so how to keep the baby alive. I, I you know, figure that part out. <laughs> but, but the how to parent, like how to help raise another completely separate from a human being with his own personality and his own interests and his own skills to, to be like a functioning, awesome person in the world and not want to control every part of that. Yeah. No one taught me that. Right. <laughs> and we're always learning, of course, but most often we realize that after we've had them, so we brought, we've now are now enormously responsible for these human beings. And now we're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And that's exactly what happened to me. Like, what am I doing? And so I read tons of books. Shafali's work resonated with me because it was about me. And that, that was some huge lessons in my experience. That's the where... controllable though. You, you're the controllable. We're the controllable parents. We're, I, I spent so much time trying to figure out what I was doing wrong without looking at myself and where it was coming from. It's, and it's also the label and the identity that comes with mothers. Mothers are supposed to know mothers you're supposed to be in tune and oh my gosh if we're struggling the shame and guilt that comes with that because my mother raised four of us well she raised four of us but how much did she actually show you and how much did you remember as a child you didn't look at her in her role or in her job per se the way you used it right you didn't know that our mothers probably stuffed a lot down oh everything, all of it. Yeah. So and now, yeah, I was gonna say, I was no, gonna no. say, I, I was gonna <laughs> say the, like the way I kind of found Shafali's work. I can't remember if I saw this one video online first, or if I just went to chapters and sat down and like devoured that book sitting there. Huddled, uh, the, not the awakened family one, the conscious parent one. Like it, I think that's actually the first one. Right. Um, and so I, I had recently one of our, one of our kids was diagnosed with ADHD. And I think as an early therapist, I was overcome with a sense of, oh my God, how did I not know that this was a thing? Because as anyone listening, who's interested in ADHD knows, like we don't get a lot of training on this in school. And so it was like right underneath my nose. And while he was young and we, we had, we were able to get the whole process taken care of fairly quickly in terms of assessment, that sense of like shame, confusion, like everything I'm doing does not work. Why is nothing I'm doing working? Nothing I'm doing is like helping to like manage the situation any better other than like a couple of intuitive things we figured out. And I read that book and I thought, oh my goodness, it's because it's not about everything I was doing was about me and my wound up way about thinking how it should have be going rather than looking at this beautiful child and thinking, what do I need to change in order to get to know who he is and help him thrive rather than I, for really like a lot of years, I was just seeing some extension of who I thought he needed to be. And as a mother, my job was to help make him 
become that version of what I thought he should be rather than what he thought he should be. And that was a fundamental shift for me. Amazing. But, and I'm going to ask, was it even your thought of what he should be? Because there's no, all, just all the crap I've been told my whole life. Crap. Exactly. And the cultural stuff on me, hundred <laughs> percent, same crap. And I, I had a bit of a head start in the sense that before I was a, a mom, I was a stepmom. And so I had two other beautiful boys in my life that I was very conscious of letting them direct what our relationship would be and at their pace. And I knew that and just intuitively knew that's how it had to go. And they taught me how to be a parent in their life early. And so I kind of, before I had the hours boy, um, had already had this kind of orientation of, I'm going to, I'm going to take my lead. And then I kind of forgot that for a while when we had him. And then I remembered, oh, wait a minute. Like, I got to get to know this kid, even though he's already eight, (laughs) and figure out who he is so I can help him become the best person he's going to be. Because while we're very similar, we're also very different, right? And that whole transformation, I mean, it was really beautiful. It was really painful, too. Oh, so painful. So painful. So painful. I hear you. I, um you were actually going through this deep evolutionary connection though, as you shed, right? Like that was the beauty of the book. That's the beauty of her work. When I started with her, I remember um, reading it after I got called out on not being here. Like I'm here. (laughs) I had a different, I had a different job, um, complete flexibility, present, not present. And that was, and I, but I didn't focus on that because I was in a mindset of having to be everything. Right. And I remember I had already fought through the, um, judgment that others projected upon me because I was a working mother. Right. So I got caught up in that and then having to prove myself as this, um, career person as a mother, still being able to manage and my health became sacrificed because of this chase. That's how it goes. And literally my mind body separated without me being conscious of it. I come home, pick up my kid and he like, just literally sits down and says, uh, I said, Oh, you don't look very happy right now. I don't like your job. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You don't like my job? Meanwhile, here I am fighting for my identity with all these, you know, <laughs> my mother and like, you know, the wise women that I had so much respect for who were judging me for working while I had children, which again, that in itself, it was important for me to have that purpose and my own identity outside of being this mom. So, um, that was that first. And then when he said that, I was just like, what, what do you mean? I'm able to go on field trips with you. I'm able to be, um, home for when you come home. I do all kinds of things with you. We have flexibility. That's why mommy works so hard at night. That's why mommy is, you know, available to you. So sometimes at night, and I'm projecting onto him that he is the problem. He's the one that has to understand because mm-hmm. I'm so wounded oh. by this simple statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the moms <laughs> who have had a kid and dads and stepmoms and guardians and grandparents who have had a kid say, you work too much. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? You know, like, you know, my job pays for all this stuff, blah, 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 right? blah. We defend ourselves and we get defensive instead of listening to that. Exactly. That's my saying, point. I want you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was like a, a gut punch. And I'm, I was so grateful that I had the seeds planted to listen and to be different because in that moment, it took me back to my own childhood when I wasn't heard. And I was like, oh my God. And so um, 
I took that to heart. Like that was a pivotal moment and a huge um, positive shift in my parenting relationship with the kids. So bringing us back to presence allows us to also open the space for listening and let the listening can be hard. <laughs> well, because they're saying really such simple things to us. Kids are great at expressing their, their need. And before they're really sophisticated at language and just saying simple things like that, which it doesn't take much to peel that back. You know, when they're, when they're behaving in a way that's designed to get our attention, that means they need our attention. So we need to slow down and give them the attention. They're kids, right? And this narrative is out there that, oh, if they're acting out, they're trying to get attention. Therefore, we should not give it to them. It's, that doesn't work. It's biologically incompatible with how humans are wired. It, it just, it worsens the situation, in fact, right? Or the, the, um, the, again, back to the very traditional and authoritarian way of punishing. You know, that was enlightening for me because um, when you take the parent focus and the the need focus. So in this moment, I focused on, I heard his need, right? So I took that and I had to look at myself as the parent. And then I went to finding a way to understand going forward, what kind of connection I want with him, because that hurt me that he felt, even though I was around physically, I wasn't around for him emotionally. And so all of these things she put together for me, distractedness, right? Like you're physically there, but your mind is still managing your schedule and all the next things so that you can just keep up this pace, right? Pace, the duty, the, like all the tasks, right? The check marks were like, check, check, check. Um, but then, and then in that moment, because I was so, that was the initial um, change. But before that, I just, did what I knew. Like, I really, I didn't take time to investigate my parenting style and learn it and understand it better. I don't think anyone really does. <laughs> We're always doing it later because something's happened. Pivotal thing that happens that if the moment is right, it strikes you. And that's the moment that the consciousness breaks through. And then it's like, it's screaming at you from that moment after that. And it can't stop. Cause once you once you see, you cannot see. And then it becomes conflict is like, what do I do about it? What do I do about it? And that's where that piece, like, you know, we were taught to be punitive. So we end up reacting, we end up consequencing, and we can't look at really what's the impact of that. Is there really a benefit to that? And that's a lot of the challenge that I give back to the parents in my sessions. Like, let's talk about it. What if it went this way? What, what's the benefit? What's the gain of you taking something away from them? Just asking, <laughs> let's have some insight here because if there isn't one, if there isn't an emotional gain, if there's no connection, what's happening then? It really doesn't do anything. And the goal is that we as parents create the connection with our children that's based around that sense of safety, honesty, um, being able to rely on us no matter what. Because like you said earlier on, these kids are going to make mistakes and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. That is okay. Yeah. They're supposed to, we all have. Yeah. And we still do. And that's one of the things I say to my kids, you know, like, Hey guys, I, I hope you're just, you know, my job right now is to just reduce your therapy bills. <laughs> Later. Here's your, here's your education fund and here's your therapy fund. And if, if you can pay half, at least half of what I did, I did a good job as a parent. <laughs> I mean, but the, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I joke about it, but in all seriousness, um, I allow myself to now be honest with the kids. Like I tell them a lot of what I didn't learn in my modeling, in my environment, and a lot of things that I was exposed to that I don't want to carry over. And sometimes that takes time. 
So being honest about my own change and my own commitment to them to be really as present, but, you know, as mindful as I can be of my own crap and my, my reaction to them, I want it to, I want to be more responsive. I don't want to be reactive. I lived in a reactive environment. And then I worked many years in a different career in a very reactive environment. It took a lot of unlearning that. Yeah. It, it doesn't to do anybody any good. Nope. No. What would you say? So when, it, when, it, when parents come to you and they undertake to learn this, this new perspective and mindset and shift into a conscious parenting mindset, what, mm-hmm. what changes in family life? What does that feel like for people? Well, the first thing that changes is uh, the journey that parents are not alone. We're not alone. And once we can say that we're not perfect, that actually frees a lot of the pressure. That so we much pressure. Right. People put so much pressure on themselves. So much. And it is right. Pressure is, is often self-induced in some ways. You know, we see our peers doing the same things, but no one really talks about whether we should be doing what we're doing. And so it's very isolating. And as we know, in mental health, when we get isolated emotionally, that's pretty depressing and lonely, right? So, so you're right. I see that like a, a reopening to reconnect just as a human being to yourself and to other people. So Shefali's program offers us a lot of tools as well. And one of the things that we start off with as parents is replacing the shoulds with coulds. So I give them some worksheets and that is really noticing the as is, is the first step and replacing the shoulds with the coulds. Cause the should is the pressure in itself. Like an example specifically. Well, I should have been the mom who knew my kid was feeling my absence. Oh, you're calling me out. <laughs> Everyone I could have. Therapy session. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I should have felt that. Yeah. When we reframe that, mm-hmm. yeah, I could have been the mom that tuned in and noticed there was a struggle there. There was a, a discomfort, or maybe I didn't see a misbehavior that was showing me some other thing behind the behavior. Right. When I say that I could have, I give myself grace because now owning it and holding it, embodying it. Like I say, holding it, meaning embodying it. I'm well aware of myself. You feel the weight of everything that was on the shoulders at the time too. And so then there's self-compassion for, whoa, there's so much going on. And who it really is telling me I should be anyway. Right. Where, where are these labels coming from? Where are these expectations? Are they mine? And then we just go into, you know, recognizing, have, have we really worked on the values? <laughs> you know? oh, just and handed to us. We just become parents and that's it. Like we go with it. We, you know, as much as we learn all the, you know, stages in, in term, like we're so ready to see, oh my gosh, are they reading at the, at the level that they should oh, be? Yeah. <laughs> are yeah. they, oh, it is so stressful yeah. and we fall into that. Like we do everything else. Oh, so look I, at that. I will family. say I'm really grateful that when, when my, our youngest was that age to look at things like that, like it wasn't a thing. And I'm really aging myself here, dating myself. It wasn't a thing to have like a Facebook group dedicated to your child's developmental progression. And now I see so many people come to me and there's so much anxiety that their kid has missed this milestone or this hasn't happened and they're really worried. And while sometimes there's occasion to investigate it, a lot of times it is really just um, this incredible kind of like pressure that, that, that this kid must perform. This kid must meet this mark, must meet this measure. And it's some extension of ourselves, like some, some evidence of what a good parent we are. 
And then when the kid is doing something different, like they're a separate human being and they got their own life and their own agenda and their own thing going on, somehow that reflects upon, you know, who we are. Like there's, there's so, there's problems with boundaries there too, right? And if you don't stop to get to know who this little child is, you won't get to know them. And we will, and they won't feel safe to come to us. If we don't get to know when you want them to, exactly. Yeah. So my parenting lens completely shifted. Like I, I am so grateful that she wrote these books, that she wrote this program because, uh, and she herself, like as a mother still owns her, um, her, her faults, if you will. Like we don't like identifying them, but that's, I guess the language we use, right? Same here. Oh yeah. I share all the, all the goofy things I, I do as a parent, you know? If you or your child was given a diagnosis of ADHD, but then not really told what it means or how it might change throughout their life, maybe you've been given a prescription for medication, but not had the opportunity to engage in the rest of recommended treatment either ADHD adaptive therapy or ADHD coaching. Maybe you've known since you were a kid that you have ADHD, but the early attempts at treatment didn't go so well. Maybe you're a parent who's worried about making the right choices for your kid regarding medication. If there's gaps in the information that you think you were supposed to have gotten, then this is the course for you. DIY ADHD is a self-paced online course created by yours truly, Christina Crow, a registered psychotherapist in Ontario, Canada. You'll get all of the foundational information to fill in all the knowledge gaps you might not even know you have. Reclaim your life. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this resource, decide whether or not it's for you, and if you move forward, use the promo code CCPODCAST for 15% off. Um, so I, so I want to, I want to bring in ADHD here. And so for me, the natural overlay of ADHD parenting that works in conscious parenting is that in conscious parenting, we have to look at ourselves first and figure some stuff out. And an ADHD family so we've got a kid or a couple kids maybe who've been diagnosed and, you know, we're starting to get to a place where more and more and more adults are diagnosed, but because it's a hereditary disorder for the most part, it's present through generations of the family, yet most of the older generations aren't necessarily formally diagnosed or treated. So it's a little bit of, you know, not wanting your kid to be able to execute on and do something in a functional way that we're not consistently doing as parents. So we've managed to figure it out and like live our lives and go through all the ups and downs and and we're doing okay. And we don't actually really know that it didn't need to be that hard. And so we don't actually know is a, why it was so hard and no one actually really taught us the skills, we had to figure it out for ourselves. And I think there's a piece of, we've expected our children to be able to do the same thing, but that's not really how it, how it goes. So in an ADHD family, it really is about the parents sorting themselves out first. And then the kids can fall in line behind that structure. Right. Yeah. And, and sorting themselves out could include just simply how do I support this disorder just asking the question just asking the questions asking the question it it doesn't mean that anyone has to do anything of of all that if there's 15 things you could do it just means you have to consider it and think about what needs to change in the home so there's things that we know that really contribute to kids thriving and being incredibly successful um you know with the neurodiversity and being able to to take all the strengths that they can come with it and get get rid of and manage the downsides, right? 
And that, that requires knowing a lot about how it presents and how it shows up for you and your particular child and how it affects your family life, because it most certainly affects and impacts family life. But then being able to get roll up our sleeves as parents and say, all right, this is the curveball life has thrown. Like, what do we got to do to make the best of this and to untie all of our shoelaces so that we can all thrive? And the, the parents who can do that, get on board, are, are hands down, that's a huge success factor for people. And it's not something that happens overnight, I'll say. Like, it's, it's a journey. Like, we're talking kids diagnosed, if by the end of year one, everyone's on board, I'd say that that's awesome. So it's not like within a week or two, everyone's on board. Everyone understands it. Like it's an unfolding that kind of happens over time. The faster we can do it, you know, kind of the better off um, with what we know now. But reasonably, it's like a big deal. It takes some time to process it, right? It absolutely does. And and um, one of the things that we start off with is to, you know, remember that we're using this diagnosis now as a way to support our right. child yeah not functional finding yes our child Bingo. and that is huge when we talk about and and that could be anything um you know it doesn't necessarily have to be adhd right how are we communicating with our children we our language our dialogue is it shaming and guilting even when we know they have a diagnosis? And that's why this work is so important. Right. Because and, we, and I, I just want yeah. to jump in and just say one thing about that, right? So in the mental health world, you know, some of us are, we don't like labels. You know, there's a different, there's a different uh, um, environment around assessment and diagnosis in Canada with mental health and therapists as there is in the US. So for any, so any people that are listening from different jurisdictions, um, there's some differences there because, because the way the system is in the US, my understanding is that, you know, therapists have to diagnose people with something in order to continue to get insurance funded to serve them. So there's, there's some other intricacies there. In Canada, we don't really have that um, kind of situation going on. And the label is only important when it directs appropriate care best practices, evidence-based treatment, and brings access to the things that a kid needs or an adult needs to help them thrive. So yes, it's very functional to have the label in that sense of ADHD. If, if the label doesn't provide those pathways, do we need to be hung up on the label? No, probably not, right? To your point, it's not about limiting what someone can or can't do. It's about breaking open what someone can do, because now we know what we need to do. There's a clear, there's 200 years worth of medical literature and research that we can, we can understand how to make all of these systems work for ourselves to be, to be free, to be able to reach that potential that every report card says somehow I'm not reaching. Right. So I just wanted to say that part about the label. No, I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, no, that's, I, it's just one of the things that I I'm sharing because it's, it's a, <laughs> a very early on in my work with parents is that in particular, when it shows up and they're facing it and there's, and, and actually one of our past conversations, right. We talked a lot about grieving and, and that's where a big part of my other background comes in because we do grieve the, 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 the story that we imagined, the fairy tale, let's say. And this is what I'm dealt with. This is my reality. And we don't give ourselves that time to process it as grief. You know, because, but that's huge. It's huge. I really agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the one thing, if, if, you know, if you read a lot about mental health throughout this, this period of time, the last few years, you know, understanding grief in a broader lens as not just isolated to, you know, the death of somebody that we love, but the death of, you know, moments of time and, and dreams and the ability to do things in a way of life 
and to understand that that there is a letting go of the old before we can welcome in the new and if we can't let go we kind of stay stuck in this limbo place you know i think before we can actually walk through and and see what the new place is like right and feel it that's and the that's why i was so drawn to this um somatic work because a big part of the grief is also that we've separated, like what I went through, that separation of body and mind connection. So I wasn't listening. My mind was so strong. I was not listening to my body. It took my body to give out for me to listen. Well, and I think that's a good, it's a protective survival mechanism. Some of us become very, very cognitive. Like we become very reliant on learning and our intellectual brain and getting the information. And that is how we make decisions in life. And, and we don't necessarily consider slowing down to make a decision with our whole being. It can be, can feel like a bit of a, like an unsafe thing, you know? And so, and that, and like I say all the time with my clients, that works, man, until it doesn't. And so we can be happy that it worked for us when it did, but let's figure out where it's missing the mark now and adjust our, our compass accordingly. Right. And our, as parents, especially as mothers, we've forgotten to feel right. And so when we neglect that, that aspect of grief, when we neglect the transition, just the stage, just the transition in age, you know, the grief for me recently was like, oh my gosh, my firstborn is going to be getting his license. Like he's no longer this baby, those reminders, right? Like I'm not like, you know, I may not be spending a day sobbing over it, but I take a moment. Oh yeah. Just sit and feel that and really remember, oh gosh you know, they're growing up, like time passes. How can I make the next few years more connection-based, you know, like secure and safe for them because it's another phase. It's another transition. Yeah. And, and we do as, you know, probably parents in general, but I sometimes moms and, and, you know, we're using a little bit of heteronormative language here because parenting um, comes across this, the spectrum in lots of different ways for different people. And so I just want to like say that, but, you know, in my experience, there is a letting go, especially I think, you know, of, of who your kid was, who the, who the boy was, who the girl was. And, and we're, we don't want to let go of them. I like who you were as a boy. Like, who is this stinky teenager that's always around? They don't really think. If they're listening, sorry guys, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's snarly and not as talkative and mood, like all those things. And it's like, oh no, like when, when are you coming back? Like, can you put the date in my calendar? And now I've been through it a couple of times. I, I know exactly when they come back, but if, if we don't let go of that kid that we miss, we won't get to know the adult they're becoming. I don't love it, but it is what it is. That's how it goes, right? And so being able to be present enough to know that that's what's happening in your relationship. And it is the relationship that we have to be present in. So we stay connected, you know? And sometimes what I love to help parents know is that it's maybe not using words. Maybe it's enough being present is that energy like that sitting in that physical space even if they're on their phone I tell parents be like a house plant yeah that's great <laughs> there in the corner waiting <laughs> for maybe an in i i think like for me with the the um definitely with the somatic work like getting people reacquainted with that remembering that their feeling is guiding them. Their intuition is guiding them. You said it yourself, right? Like, oh yeah, some of it was intuition. Some of it was, of course, because we have this inner compass. We have this guidance within us. But if we get caught up in the outside world, the anxiety will paralyze us and separate us from that body. And then we can't parent. 
to acknowledge both for sure. Exactly. This dance and it's ongoing. <laughs> what do you, what do you do when people come and they, they're like, yep, we need some support. They acknowledge they're having a hard time with their kids, you know, parenting or communicating with each other, even as parents or co-parents. And then you kind of lay out, you start the process, like this is how it goes. And this is the, the perspective of conscious parenting. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want, that doesn't work for me. Like, or they fight you on it. Yeah. Well, we all have resistance, don't we? When we're in any type of, (laughs) well, I mean, I think that's the, the message is that, you know, it's getting across, you're making me uncomfortable. Right. That's the message. That's what I tend to receive. And that's okay because every I've planted the seed and that's okay. It, it, it is, you have to be comfortable and willing to make the changes. Um, I've seen both that, you know, where some people just don't come back. It's, it's too far, um, different from what they ever knew. So they, you know, don't have that comfort or that safety. And I think also issues of like perfectionism and being a driver and, you know, worrying about your kids doing well come in because conscious parenting, I think on the surface feels like, oh, we're taking our foot off the gas. Oh, you know, we're going to have these be like, you know, emotions and, you know, just talking about our feelings all the time and stuff. And there's going to be no structure anymore in our home. And that's, that's absolutely not what it, not what it's like. Um, at all. And in fact, I would say it's even clearer to the kids what their role is in the relationship and in the home. And, and there's even more accountability on the one hand, um, at least that's, you know, implementing it in our home. That's definitely been our experience. Like our, I, anyway, I'm not going to get into our kids, I suppose. Right. And I didn't get, I didn't get their permission to start telling stories about them before, <laughs> before this recording. But, you know, I, I will say that, um, I think people would just be really surprised at how releasing a little bit of control allows so much more. Everyone else gets to step up to the plate, right? And it's really lovely how that unfolds over time. And if people are just willing to trust themselves, like their own. And that's where it goes into the parent focus. And it feels, you feel more aligned. And then you just, then it's okay. As long as you're aligned, you can do anything. Yep. And what you said about that, um, that interception really, right. When we look at ourselves as the parent, we are seeing ourselves as a, as a person. And I think that's one of the big wins that comes from this work is that we have to understand we are literally the head of the environment right? The adults in the space. There's absolutely structure there. Yeah. And the environment is what the children are seeing and learning and becoming. Soil in a pot, right? Yeah. We're the ones that went to the plant store and chose the soil to put in the pot. So if the plant's (laughs) not doing well, and the buck stops with us, not the plant. Right. Great analogy. Never heard that one. I love metaphors. Metaphors, yes. So, um, but what comes from learning to let go a little bit is that lesson in who I am. Now, who have I become as an adult? I'm here now, I'm this mother, but what what more am I? Do we look long-term? Do we take the time to actually just say, what kind of relationship do I want with my kids in like, let's say 10 years? Right. Yeah. Cause we're so focused on now. <gasps> I have to intervene. I have to control. I have to make it this way. This is how it has to look. I need to do this for you. I'm doing this because I love you. Take a breath. Take a breath. We can be a bit too fixated on goals sometimes guys, <laughs> a little bit too much. And, and we need to think more about, I think who we are and our values and leading with that. A lot of the other stuff, it just comes out. Okay. In the end, it comes out in the wash. We have to trust that everyone, every person in our family that's in their journey will do what they need to do when all the conditions are good. And in, in an ADHD family, it really is about our external conditions. 
all the interventions, so Russell Berkeley says this, have to be out there in the environment. And it's true, right? And so that's why, to your point, Sabrina, that, and that's why for me, conscious parenting was such a click. And so, you know, when I was stalking Sabrina before I knew her in person, and, and I knew that she was into this conscious parenting stuff. I And I kind of thought, oh, she lives in my town. I've got to find this woman, see if she'll meet me for a coffee. <laughs> and when we met, it, it was like we'd known each other for a hundred years. In the first oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to circle back with one more thing with when we talk about it. Um, when we're parenting and we're so maybe um blinded by how we're contributing to the environment um it's okay like this is where this is where when we create that space for letting go and like you said you know like path of least resistance i guess invites that love for self and why do we need that we so love for self is key and the foundation of values is key. I'm finding more and more, even in my own <laughs> relationship, I don't like now we have, but I don't remember sitting down and saying, Hey, what kind of like, um, principles and values are we going to raise our kids with? Like, what do you think? Where do we, you know, I didn't sit there. We didn't talk about it because we just thought it was all going to go with flow. <laughs> until it doesn't. But the reason we do it, love for self allows us to have that self-compassion. It allows us to take our time with maybe some decisions or, um, you know, um, working with what we're given, but we live in a culture that's so instantaneous that I think it's filtered into parents too, that we need to have the answer right away. We need to respond right away. You can say, Hey, listen, I don't know. I need time to think about my answer. Yeah, I need 20, whatever they're hours. asking I need 48 for. hours. I, yeah. Or um, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know because, you know, you're my firstborn and I've never done this before. And I'm going to give myself permission to just sit with it and learn and, and kind of trust what I'm going to come back with. And um, in that honoring and that witnessing, we are knowing. And going back to the, the values, it's, it's for me, it's like I, I teach my clients that it's, it's a resource. When we can be aligned, when we understand the values by which we are hoping to raise, right? So for me, I, my, my hope is that I can contribute to an individual who is independent, well-integrated, well, you know, knows how to treat people with decency and respect and kindness and knows how to receive that as well. And expect it and return the yes. relationship. So the other thing is, as a parent, when you deliver this type of relationship to your child, then your, your, your teenager, young adult expects this is the model of a relationship. So then later, if they find themselves in a relationship that doesn't have those values, it will be obvious to them. They will be confused about whether they should stay or go or whether this is for them or not. But if but they have not, a relationship that's inconsistent or that's, you know, on the surface, the words are right, but then the actions don't meet that, they'll be confused. Practice what you preach, right? Yeah. It's big, like it's big stuff. And when we get to that place, oh my gosh, with um, some of the clients where we have that collaboration. Yep. Holy, like the results are amazing and very um, evident earlier than I would say doing it separately. Like, do you want to do you want to share with everybody like what what that program is that you're referring to? A collaboration, yeah. Well, we have another amazing <laughs> clinician in the office, Tracy Frazier, who sees the kids and. Um, what we saw and early on my years, um, when I first started transitioning into this, uh, career, I worked with kids myself and they loved learning. They loved to know, like they ate it up. You give them activity. Oh my gosh. Amazing. 
And then I would find this disconnection because the parents would say, well, I want you to teach them self-esteem and I want you to teach them the confidence. And well, so I went down that path and then I realized, oh, I can't do this work. I love these kids with the parents. The parents are out of the loop. They don't know what's happening in the room. Yeah. And I would work and give them, you know, a follow-up and all this, you know, homework to do and help their kid and all this. And it never got done. It was just a kid, you know, a child would come back and say, well, no, we didn't do this. And we didn't do that. And I said, okay, this is too stressful for me because I see you guys loving this so much. And, and, you know, we got to find a way. And then when Shafali's course came to me realizing, you know, this isn't about the kid, this is about the parents. So with Tracy, who works with um, mostly a majority of children is, I think, I think it's a majority. I don't think she's as well, but she's our, she's definitely our child therapist. Yeah. And yeah. And so when it came to her recognizing and, and us talking, we saw a gap and we wanted to fill that gap with this opportunity where it's um, a collaboration where I work with the parents uh, while she works the, with the child and we take time and it doesn't happen, you know, whatever pace we need it we need to, we collaborate in, in seeing and listening to her client and my client. And we develop the strategies. So we, through a theme, right? So we're not sharing or breaking confidentiality, but it's through themes that we see, oh, okay. So there's a lot of emotional reaction here, you know? So so she's working through what's the emotional reaction on her client's part and what's it on mine. And because we're, we're not putting them in a room and not that anything is wrong with family counseling, it's just a different approach. we just tend to see like, oh, okay, this is, this is what we're seeing here. These are the, 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 the triggers that are causing you these work reactions. On it with your own respective lens. And then the adults get to deal with their adult issues and the kid gets to deal with their kid issues at a developmentally appropriate level. And then parents don't feel left out of that process anymore. Right. Cause often, yeah, no parents were left out of process like you know my kid's going through something I don't know what's I don't know what's happening in there it's all confidential and stuff right and so um that so then you see this accelerated understanding of like oh wait a minute like we're allowed to look at this differently oh we're allowed to step outside of what we've been told and maybe try something different and then once you try it like the proof is in the pudding after that right oh my gosh it's it's incredible like what we see that's amazing that, that you guys have been able to pilot that run with it and have the experiences that you've had with people. It's really, really amazing. It is. And, and, um, the, you know, one of the other beautiful things I see come out is that the mom, the parent and child typically, and sometimes it's both parents end up very soon after having and noticing this connection again, like it's back. They have this sense of like, oh, it's coming back. I can feel it again and I can see it again. And it's just because we've, we've, we've helped them develop their healthy communication style, recognize their parenting style, how they were influenced. What is, um, what is it that you want to change for yourself to make it better? Hey, kind of co-create the kind of family life that you, you, everyone would like to have. It's not just driven by one person and one person's idea about how it's supposed to be co-creating. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it, because it's a shared responsibility. Yeah. Just like t- taking care of a home. It's not a single person's responsibility. What? I bet lots of people are like, uh, <laughs> gonna save that part and play that for somebody I live with. I don't know. Right. Um, thank you so much. Do you, I mean, so we covered a lot of different things and do you think there's mm-hmm. anything you know, for people who have, this is the first time they're hearing about it, or maybe they've heard a little bit and they're not sure like that we haven't mentioned yet. I want them to feel, um, when I know that sometimes the word conscious, um, might influence this, um, 
resistance. <laughs> because it's it sounds so or hokey. And, yes. And <laughs> it's really what I like to say and just and, and share with people is that it's it's learning about you, right? Mm-hmm. And when we really can be aware mm-hmm. of ourselves, of our emotions, of our regulation, of um, our own needs that we're neglecting. Mm-hmm. Then we actually connect to intention. Right. What are we actually doing here? Yeah. Yeah. And why? And how we're parent, like, you know, what, why did I have kids? Yeah. Whose idea was this again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it gives us this, you know, I just want people to think years out. What do I want with my kids? I, for me, I joke all the time. And I say, I just, if my kids want to hang out with me, I hope they want to, I hope they call me up and say, Hey, we want to come by versus you have to, they're obligated to, or finding a way to avoid it. Oh, geez. (laughs) So yeah, I think, I think that's a really big thing. Like if you want to do a little thought experiment and you think about five years, 10 years, 20 years, what do you want it to feel like? in your relationship with your kids and your body and your heart and your soul, what do you want it to sound like when they call you up or drop in? What do you want it? What do you want that those activities to be like? And then what are you doing today to create the soil, the, the, the ground for that type of relationship to grow? Right. And, and those are some kind of interesting things to think about when you think about your relationship with your kids. Um, there's, there's, so many, there's so many interesting pieces of this. I'm so grateful that you came and had the time to, to give everybody to talk about this. Where can people find you? And where do you want people to reach out and look for information if they've got questions and wanna read more? Uh, well, you can find me through Dig a Little Deeper. Yeah, I'll link, I'll link that. You yeah. have all that. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Facebook it is questionable these days. <laughs> but anyways, you can just Google me and I'm sure you can find me at some place or through Dig a Little Deeper, right? That's the um, place to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. I have a YouTube playlist, uh, actually a YouTube channel, sorry, with a playlist for parents. And there are a lot of resources there that would like topics that we would cover over the, the client, um, coach journey. So they can be prepared to see like, Oh, this is what it is. (laughs) You know, this is maybe a little bit more about what it is. Yeah. Cool. 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 And we have some of that stuff too, as well through the dig a little deeper YouTube playlist. So I'll, I'll link both in our show notes so people can have that. Okay. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving conscious parenting a voice because it needs a platform. Like we live in a world, like so caught up in the future thinking that creates anxiety. We're not future thinking the pleasure and the joy and the sacredness of being a parent and healing the parent relationship too. I do have clients that don't have children, but are healing um their own relationship with yeah yeah that's a really good point thank you for bringing that up too Mm -hmm. for sure and and you know when when it comes to issues of having big things needing to heal I mean do any of us if you're a human you know you probably have some developmental trauma like little t it's okay like we all have our things we've got to get through and sometimes in therapy we say you know, we, we think about our parents, you know, they didn't have the books, they didn't have the research we have now. They had different kinds of environmental traumas and their own trauma that they didn't even know they had. They probably still have. <laughs> and, uh, and so we always, we say this thing sometimes where, you know, they did the best they could with what they had. It's also okay to say it wasn't good enough and to acknowledge that, that those two things can coexist right? And to give ourselves the things that we need now so that we're in a different place and we're not parenting from trauma and we're not parenting from fear. We're parenting from a place of being regulated and abundance and offering safety to our kids, psychological safety, emotional safety, right? 
It's a, it's a totally different perspective shift. It is. And we're not parenting. I want to add to that. We also don't parent from the child lens. Meaning? Meaning that we, we end up becoming parents, but we're really children inside because oh, we haven't yeah. dealt with our, we haven't dealt with our shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's got an explicit rating right at the end there. Okay. I can't help it. <laughs> I, I was very good today. Wasn't I? I was clean. Very clean. <laughs> good. Oh man. It's, it's never gonna, it's never gonna happen for me. <laughs> That's it for today. My friends, we hope you enjoy being a fly on the wall for this one. Leave me some messages uh, through the page on anchor. If you have any questions that you want follow up on and please check the show notes for all the relevant links that we did discuss today. If you like the show, please like and share it. Share it in your social media. Tag us. Dig a little deeper therapy. And that kind of lets us know that we should keep doing this. And it will help the podcast show up in all the places that you do listen to podcasts. Until next time.